Mission Basics. This is the Preparatory Podcast, and tonight we are coming to you from Lamoni, Iowa. We have a change in venue, and that is due to our fourth host for tonight. So I'll let you guys introduce yourselves. I'm Jason Kane. Andrew Smith. And our, our guest for this evening is Joel Lovin. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. There we go. We had to uh, make the journey up to Lamoni to meet with Joel, and Joel, this episode is special for me because I, for the longest time, have been a uh, an Iowan in the Missouri side of things and uh, a stranger in a faraway land. And so I get to come back to my homeland. And I know you, do you hail from Missouri? Like, were you? Actually, Edwards? actually, originally I was, I'm from Iowa. Okay. So. I was born in boom. Mount Air and folks lived in Lamoni. There was no hospital here, of course, but. So you're a true Iowan through and through. Well, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, when we last left off in our episodes, our chronological episodes, we interviewed your niece, Kara, and she left us with some wonderful wisdom. And just to sum up that chapter, that was Jacob coming to um, the Nephites, and he was, uh, I believe it says he's anxious for the words that he has to share with them, and he wishes that he could have shared something happy and joyful and exciting with them, but their sin was so great. And so what happened was he preached a hard-nosed sermon of, of fire and brimstone unless they changed their ways. And there was a promise extended to the Lamanites that because they loved their wives and their children, um, that they would be kept on the promised land, that they would survive and the Nephites would be swept off. And we're kind of going to pick up here in that same line of things. Uh, Jason, do you want to give us a little sum up of just really quickly what happened in chapter three from your reading or Andrew or Joel, any of you, I guess, can hop in here and say what stood out to you. Really, most of it is just this one parable that we'll, I'm sure, get into. And it, it's a interesting read and um, there's a lot you can take from it. But um, at the beginning, I found some stuff interesting about how um, Jacob was talking about the Jews and how how specifically they um, kept asking for more and more doctrinal things that um, didn't really, wasn't just the base gospel that we have. And so I, I found it interesting how Jacob worded it. Basically, they were condemned by getting more information. He said, uh, I don't have it right in front of me, but he basically said he gave them information that they don't understand uh, basically on purpose just because they were asking and that was ultimately their own shortfall there and so um, that was just one thing that stuck out to me while reading through this um, but yeah we can get into stuff deeper later I have on my notes that that Jacob chapter 3 has the purpose of the Book of Mormon that that is what um, this I guess that's the spearhead of this chapter that no other chapter I, I guess there are some other chapters, but um, this chapter sums up the history from the beginning of the world almost to the to when God covenanted with Abraham all the way to the very end in a parable. And um, because you're our guest, Joel, we're going to lean heavily on you, and, and it will be a conversation, but we do want to hear from you. And so I guess I just ask you what Jacob 3 means to you, and, and you can go into wherever you want to go, but... Well, it's one of the most exciting passages in Scripture that I've ever come to 
appreciate and understand, and and I'm still learning from it, of course. And I I meant what I said earlier when I said I'll I'll come in a humble way and sort of talk up to you and even to the audience because I I don't want to presume with anyone in this conversation that I'm a know-it-all or I have it all figured out. I'll share what I do, but really in these conversations we're we're kind of listening to two different things at the same time. You're listening to my voice now, but at the same time, I mean, simultaneous to that, you we're all listening for the Holy Spirit and the truths. And we it's best if they're in agreement with what a person is saying, but there may be times when it's not. I certainly recognize that I'm a man of many weaknesses and faults, and although I love the Book of Mormon immensely and consider it to be the critical scripture of our of our day along with the rest of our scriptures uh this is something that i'm just beginning to understand a little bit more but let me let me jump into it but please feel free to interrupt and ask questions or make your own um insights because i'm anxious to listen and learn really from from you three as well as anyone else who wants to have a strike up a conversation about this there are I would say many scriptures that refer or tie together in a way that makes Jacob 3 all that much more interesting. Um, one of those being Genesis seven sixty nine, when it talks about righteousness coming um, from heaven and truth coming from the earth. It's talking about something I think is really, really powerful there because it's basically talking about the Holy Spirit coming from the Lord. And it's, I believe, talking about the Book of Mormon coming from the earth and how those meet in a wonderful fashion. Um, the other, the other two scriptures that <clears throat> tie into Jacob three really well are Malachi four six, which is really the last sentence of the Old Testament. And I don't know if somebody wants to go to that so we have it exactly, but <clears throat> this is a scripture that is an intriguing scripture. Um, and actually, if somebody wants to look at that one while somebody else grabs um, Helaman chapter 3, like verse 40, 49, somewhere in there, um, in both of these last two scriptures that I've mentioned, in Malachi and in Helaman 3, around 40, 45, 49, I'm sorry, I don't know these specifically. I don't have my notes in front of me, and I haven't brushed up on it um, as recently as I should, perhaps. But it talks about the fathers. I mean, do you want me to read that one? Yeah, go six? ahead. Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to their children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite earth with a curse. Okay, so when we hear that, there's a lot of questions, or it's like, wow, what's going on here? And, and um, I'm one who believes that, you know, the word question uh, is, is important because it, the, the main root word is quest. We're seeking something. I'm not talking about doubting. I'm not talking about being negative. I'm just saying there's, okay, so there are several quests that we need to answer in Malachi 4, 5, and 6. In the first place, do we know who Elijah is? So we would say, I, I would interpret it, and I may be wrong, and if you have more insight, 
great. That would be John the Baptist. He came. It's, it's 1829, restores the priesthood, Oliver Cowdery and Joseph Smith receive the Aaronic priesthood, May 15th, 1829. Uh, but the next question is, who are the fathers? Who are the children? And what did the fathers have their heart on, which is what the children need to turn their heart toward? So who are the, so the first question, who would the father, who do we think the fathers are? Now, if you're reading, if you have the third Helaman, 40, 45, 49, all in there, that does a great job of talking, uh, probably, f I would say, 40 through 60. It does a really good backdrop of, of um, the fathers and who they are. In fact, it talks specifically about Zenos, who is the prophet who first told the story of the parable of the olive tree, which is what Jacob is going to refer to here in chapter three. Mm -hmm. So it's Helaman is a, is a nice, um, I guess you could say, even though it comes later in the Book of Mormon, it's a good prequel to understanding chapter three of of Jacob. Well, the I mean, I'm cheating a little bit, but Jacob starts off talking about the children and the fathers in Jacob three anyway, and so I don't know. I am cheating a little bit in the, That's not cheating. the answer to your question, but um, he talks about... So uh, who are the fathers, Sam? He illustrates himself as one of the, fa the, as one of the, the fathers of uh, the Nephites. And, and when I read this, to me, and I could be insinuating stuff for just reading into it farther, but I also see the fathers of Israel. So those who have come before Jacob. And so Lehi, but then you go even further back and you can say... Um, Isaac and Jacob and, and some of the prophets. I think somewhere in my notes I have like Jeremiah and Hosea. I think I don't have my notes either right in front of the ones with those. But I had those listed as people who knew what Jacob was talking about as we were the fathers who knew of Christ. And then the, and he talks about the children knowing that not holding in con contempt. What does it say? Um, with thankful hearts and not with sorrow, neither with contempt about learning about what their first parents knew or their fathers knew. Um, and so it's fascinating to me because what's happening here is, as all Scripture should, it points to Christ, who, you know, the kernel of truth, the essence of truth, the, the core of truth is Jesus Christ. But he does something simultaneous to that, which is he points to the fathers who point to Christ. Now, this seems to be really important in the Book of Mormon, and I think it's one of the more profound um, purposes of the Book of Mormon is that we, as we seek to more fully embrace and understand Christ, it pulls us toward a family of humans, mothers and fathers, who were also part of the Jesus story who need to be known, who need to be understood. And part of the reason of that, of course, for those who are Book of Mormon students is there are covenants that the fathers made. So let's just, you know, for example, <clears throat> and if I'm talking too much, slow me down here, please. But let's just say tonight you have an experience that when you go to bed, you're sleeping and you're awoken and you're visited by an angel, or even the Lord himself. And he tells you amazing things. 
He tells you amazing things about your life now, about your past, and also about the future. Now, many, many generations into the future. Now, when you wake up, what are you going to do with that information, that knowledge, that testimony that you now have? What are you, what's going to happen? I'd share it. I mean, How? in a broad, um, I'd probably share with anybody. You're going to get on a podcast and do it. That's right. right. <laughs> <laughs> um, share with Make good sermon material. Yeah. Share with your family. What Jason said. Yeah, share with my family. Absolutely. First, probably. I mean, you've, you've heard some of the most important gut-wrenching heart moving things of your entire life you're going to share it with the people that you care about but you're not just going to share it with them verbally you're going to write it write it down mm-hmm. okay and then you find out in your story or in the story that was relayed to you that your grandchildren your children will believe and your grandchildren will believe but your great 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 grandchildren way down the line won't what do you do? I would suspect, now I'm going beyond the scripture here, but my sense is, and I hope it's the Holy Spirit leading us this direction, I would I would think that we would want to um, covenant with the Lord that he would bring them to a knowledge of him and the great truths of Zion and the fullness of the gospel. And so it's, and he says, I will. Your posterity will come to a knowledge of the truth. And when they do, the whole thing comes together and the kingdom of God returns to earth and Zion is established and all these things. And so that's what the fathers did. The fathers knew Christ. They had these experiences with him. It was so important to them that they went to great effort, great sacrifice really to write it down so that their eventually their posterity would come to know these truths because when their posterity embraces these truths we're we're sort of probably Ephraim or the Gentiles that have been adopted into the house of Israel but when the real children um I shouldn't say real I didn't mean it that way bad bad language on my part when <clears throat> when the actual blood relatives of these fathers comes to a knowledge of what has transpired that their legacy and their inheritance is to these great spiritual truths they'll covenant in a way that brings it all into this magnificent culminating grand finale with the return of heaven to earth and so these these covenants that the lord made with the fathers are waiting to be heard and understood but the children haven't heard them um, at this point, only a few of us really who who um, are readers of the Book of Mormon begin to understand this. But we also understand, of course, there's other scripture. There's there are other experiences that people have had with the Lord that need to come forward <clears throat> um, to culminate all this. So, so let's go back to our original question out of Malachi. So, what did the fathers have their heart on? You 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 said it, Jesus or. Sorry, right, the knowledge of the covenants. Right, oh. and and this is something really important that I think all of you. It's going to be really important as you continue to grow. We, I just I just did a thing, a class, and a sharing on the fifteenth chapter of Second um, Nephi, and okay, so Nephi is this spiritual giant. We I think we could all 
agree, and he's about to die. And so he's going to write these last words, probably pretty important to listen to. What's he going to say? And he basically, in the midst of that, I think about verse 11 or so, he says, um, I want you to believe these words, but if you don't believe these words, believe in Christ. But if you do believe in Christ, you will believe in these words. Mm-hmm. And he says, now judge ye, because at the last day, I'm going to be there, and I'm going to remind you that I was informing you a long time ago to believe this stuff. And if you don't believe it, you're going to be held responsible or accountable for it. It's like so powerful to me because to now, again, I could be wrong about this, but it basically says to me that we can't omit any of the words of Christ. It's, and, and forgive me if I offend anyone here, but this is what, what, but what about somebody who only believes in the Bible and doesn't believe in the Book of Mormon? Okay, we believe they can be saved. We can believe they can be with God in heaven, but they will be accountable for the words in the Book of Mormon that they've omitted from their own foundation of belief in, in let's say, theology. I mean, it's, it's sort of like, and this, this does a number of different things, but when the words of Christ come and they're not believed, now we've reached a really critical point in a person's journey in their path because it's like, wait a second, if, you've, if Christ has shared words and you're ignoring them or disbelieving them, how does that play out in terms of wanting to know future insights about the Lord? It's sort of like I gave you the keys to the car and you wrecked it, totaled it, and now you want more? You want me to give you the other keys to the other car? Uh, you're just going to be responsible for even more. And so if you're not going to believe what he's already given us, how do we expect him to share or reveal even more insights? And so it's like, wait a second, this Book of Mormon, which holds such a critical role in, I think, the future of mankind, the human race, the culmination of times, eschatology and the end times and the return of Zion and the fulfillment of the covenants and understanding really the fullness of the gospel and the everlasting covenant, all those things. It is, can we say, catastrophic not to believe all the words of Christ, to only believe, a, to be a partial believer in the words of Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you know, Revelations, I think, 3.15 or whatever talks about you better not be lukewarm. Better that you're cold or hot, because you're lukewarm, lukewarm, I'm going to spew you out. He's basically saying, okay, for those of us, for those of us humans who basically say, okay, yeah, I, I believe some of the words of Christ. I'm a, I'm a good partial believer in Christ. You can't partially believe in Christ. That is, that's an indictment, because it means you really weren't converted fully, okay? Mm-hmm. And so, if we, if you really know Christ, then you're going to know what he's saying, and you're going to know these words, and this is what is being said out of the Book of Mormon. So, out of 2 Nephi 15, 11, or whatever, it's basically, here we have more words of Christ, and they're being ignored by our world. Is that okay? No. 
know clearly, and, and, and I hope you feel the passion that I'm trying to convey in my heart, mm-hmm. absolutely not. Should we love them? Should we have mercy? Should we be kind and, and generous and respectful to everyone? Absolutely. But is there is there a consequence to people only partially believing the things that Christ has said in Scripture? Yeah. And you look at the condition that the world is in in today, you can say, well, we really haven't done very well with the partial belief in Christ. Mm -hmm. We better figure that out. And so the heart of the fathers is is really on knowing Christ to the fullest extent possible because Christ really longs to be known by you, by me, by all of us to an extraordinary amount intimately so that he can be you know the bridegroom and we can um, we can be the bride as the church and here we are in all this in this fragmented state and I, I say this to all of the the people and all of the really the leaders of the various factions I don't think for one second that we can we can look at each other and say that the that our Lord wants to marry a dismembered bride and yet we're all in these different states and these different factions. And it's like, how dare we think this is acceptable to Jesus? It is not. We should, we should be unifying to the greatest extent possible. I'm not trying, I understand there are differences and doctrinal issues that would have to be addressed. But to the extent possible, can't we be doing things together in a unified fashion? Aren't we, aren't we? Isn't this what we're called to do? I mean, it's really about the restoration of the house of Israel all coming back. It's a great big homecoming. Um, the fathers knew this, and they covenanted with the Lord, and that's what their heart is on. That's what Jacob is basically going to say here. And so the children, which are us and others, have to come to an understanding of what the father's heart was on. And I mean, I'll say that much because it gets it gets deeper and and, and a little bit more um, sophisticated and involved. But that, that serves our purpose at this point. Well, you a long time ago, when um, not not too long ago, you and I don't know if you still use it, but you had a let's call it a subtitle to the Book of Mormon um, because there's a popular subtitle out there right now with our and I believe on all the. Latter-day Saint Book of Mormons, underneath the title, it says, Another Testament of Jesus Christ. And um, with the work they've done, I think we've somewhat just accepted that as the purpose of the Book of Mormon. And maybe in the back of our minds that, oh, it's just another testament of the, but it's not. I mean, it is another testament of Jesus Christ, but it has a much more powerful, well, does that sound bad to say there's a a more powerful? No, it's, let's just kind of uh, put this on the map. Or, or a target, let's say. The central purpose of the Book of Mormon is largely known by its um, the beginning, the introduction, where it talks about what its purpose is. I mean, it does it itself best. Mm-hmm. It's not like it needs me to, to tell you what that is. But I would say there are a number of purposes to, to the Book of Mormon. But Let's let's go let's go to a phrase and and one of them is it is a testimony of Christ. It has to be because he's the central goal, the central point. I mean, um, redemption, um, resurrection, all of these things are established through Christ. But I think there's something when we think of the phrase fullness of the gospel, 
why e what does that really mean i mean if you have the if you have the gospel and this is where i think you were going with your comments earlier sam it's sort of like it's a second testimony of christ good but i believed the first testimony of christ what's the purpose of the second I still believe. I haven't changed anything. Why is that, you say, the primary purpose of the Book of Mormon, when I think there are other purposes of the Book of Mormon along with that? Which, although you might say, well, nothing's more important than the centrality of Christ, and I would certainly agree with that. Uh, I think there are a couple of other things that the Book of Mormon does. First, in this introduction of the fullness of the gospel, it's touching on a little bit of what I was just sort of sharing earlier, and that is, there is a depth and a breadth to coming to know Christ that is profound. And so there's a difference between, um, okay, I know of him and I really know him. And what we're talking about here, what what does the fullness of the gospel mean to all of us? I mean, I don't want to keep talking necessarily, but the Book of Mormon, we're told that the Book of Mormon is the fullness of the gospel. Well, somebody would say, I didn't need the full. What? How dare you? That's audacious for you to think there has to be a fullness of the gospel. You're saying the gospel of Jesus isn't sufficient? And I will say, well, it's sufficient for salvation for individuals, but to bring a pass, to bring to pass the end times and the conditions that are um, prophesied to fulfillment, the Book of Mormon is absolutely critical. And understanding the fullness of what the story of Jesus is, is absolutely essential. Without it, you omit the Book of Mormon and you don't have the end times. You don't have the culmination of all this happening. Um, we're just sort of waiting. We've read the Book of we've read the Bible and now we're waiting for Christ to act. When you read the Book of Mormon, I get a different sense of what the fathers were encouraging us so. So we have the fullness of the gospel which is pulling us towards something at the end time. And I think we have to humbly and meekly appreciate that the understanding of the last days in the Restoration is absolutely astounding. And, and it is an insight that other denominations, I don't believe, share, because they don't have the Book of Mormon. So this is this is critical with with the various conditions and the covenants that have to come to pass. And so we have an understanding of the fullness of the gospel. We have an understanding that the fathers played this amazingly important role. Without the fathers playing this role, and this is something's kind of interesting. And this is where you guys come in really hard, really strong, really powerfully. I'm going to fire you up. <laughs> Uh, there's a story of a good friend of mine. His name is um, Greg Savage. I hope I tell this story accurately. He was going home from Graceland. He lived in Washington, the state of Washington. It was over a 24-hour drive. He's driving home with a friend <clears throat> all the way. And they're rotating um, behind the wheel. And it comes Greg's turn in the middle of the night, about 2 o'clock. And he's driving, but he's very tired. And... Although he doesn't know exactly what happens, he ends up in the middle of the median and wakes up. It's about 4 o'clock. This is as I remembered. I may not have all the details correct, but it scares him. How did he get there? How long has he been there? What's going on? Oh, my gosh. I could have been an accident everything else. He 
pulls back onto the road and they drive to the next town and stop at a motel. And then they, he calls his mom to tell her he's not coming in straight, that not to worry about him. He's going to be later because they're going to get a decent sleep. And he says, yeah, I wanted to call to let you know um, what just happened. And she says, I know. And he says, well, I haven't told you. She says, I was woken. I was a- awakened yeah. and, <laughs> uh, and told to pray for you. And I know you're okay. And I want you to get your sleep and everything's going to be okay. The Lord's looking after you. So here's a question. If we believe in efficiency... And, you know, the straightest or the shortest distance between two points is a straight line. Why didn't the Lord just keep him awake or have him stop? Or why interrupt mom's sleep? This is, a, this is really important that we begin to understand the nature of God. Because uh, his name's Greg? Mm-hmm. Because he needed to know that the Lord was watching out for him? Okay, but why wake? But why wake up, Mom? Why not just let God? Why didn't God send an angel? Why didn't God just talk to him himself? Why interrupt, Mom? I think coming from somebody else, it means more. Say more, Andrew. Like, <laughs> well, no, so, I mean just, just yeah. So, like, when it, if you have a an experience and it's incredibly powerful, that's great. But if you have it through someone else, that's even more powerful because you feel that same spirit come through another person you know you're not imagining it you know so you've it's shared yeah okay so this is the this is like this amazing very simple but so simple we kind of pass right by it and don't kind of stop and appreciate it for perhaps for what it really means but we have this situation where his mother played a role in his life a significant role in saving his life at this point and that's the lord shares that with others. I mean, you know, he talks about how he's one with Jesus and, and and how we can be one. Well, there is this amazing, what I would call responsibility and role to play factors in the salvation of everyone else. Now, let's not get overboard here. There's only one way. There's only one name. There's, <laughs> It's all through and only through Christ. However, as part of that, it's sort of like when you know you know you play a factor in other people's lives and that's one of the powerful things you were just talking about that other it's a shared thing and so these fought that the lord shared the insights of the ages with these men who were then wanting to connect and share that with others. And the Lord says, I will bless this. This is what I want. This is the kind of gathering family that I'm talking about. And so it's really, really moving that, wait a second, we could say that all of us are to play these factors in the salvation of mankind. And so it's not just, okay, let's just wait for the Lord to take care of it. It's like, wait a second, Jason. Or Andrew or Sam, this is this is this is us in a mutual responsibility, co-responsible with the Lord. The Lord will do what only the Lord can do, but I'm to do what only I can do, and I'm to share, and it will play a role in the in in literally the salvation and the bringing forth of the kingdom. The fathers knew this, and the covenants they made with the Lord reflect this. 
such that when we begin to to capture or more fully understand those the roles, we begin to embrace them. And um, I think, you know, uh, I don't want to get off the subject too far because we, we need to stay with Jacob 3, but in the book of Enos, which is one short chapter, um, the Lord is trying to, um, you know, there's a regression that Enos goes through as he spiritually matures, and he first he prays for himself, and then he prays for his family, and then he prays for his friends and his people, but then he prays for his enemies. Like his enemies. But he doesn't stop there. The Lord tells him that his fathers ask for the same thing, meaning the Lord brings in this whole new quantum leap of understanding, which is like, wait a second, you're talking about everybody who's who's around now. This is what your fathers did. And he starts bringing in past generations. And so like all of a sudden you begin to see this, this loving the Lord is to love all people, not just love everyone who's alive now, but even to love those who have gone before. How do you love people who've gone before? You read their story. You find out about them and you read their story. You care about them. The fathers knew this and they wanted to tell this story so that their children would know it because what their heart was on was exactly what would bring salvation, not only salvation to their families, but really the culmination of the restoration of the house of Israel. It's really phenomenal. And so we we have this greater responsibility to step up and to understand what the fullness of the gospel is, understand the purpose of the Book of Mormon, understand what the fathers were doing as they were pointing to covenants. And we know that the covenants in the Book of Mormon were powerful oaths that we've kind of lost a sense and a feeling for because, you know, it's easy for us to break agreements and contracts and, you know, or marriages or those, I shouldn't say easy, but it's easier. In those days, you know, I mean, here they are, they're fighting this battle, they're beating each other, killing each other. And then it's like, okay, if you'll make an oath, if you'll promise that you'll put your weapons down and not fight again, we'll let you go. Can you imagine that happening on a battlefield today? <laughs> that. Oh, I'm not supposed to make that sound probably on these things. <laughs> if I, it's got a little field on it, so you, yeah. you can okay, well, do it, all you want. <laughs> <laughs> Raspberries. There we go. At any rate, they clearly had the, a depth of practicing covenant and oaths that were rock solid. I mean, and, and eternal in nature. And we've got to get back to that. So we come to understand the fathers. We come to understand this rule of covenant. And then we get to the everlasting covenant. And of course, remember what the everlasting covenant is out of Genesis 9, 21, 22. What, what's it say? Oh, when my people look upward, that one? Well, when thy posterity, so when, when your children. Truth, yeah. Okay, so what's embracing the truth mean? Jesus, embracing Basically, Jesus. Basically, at, at its heart it does. When they come to know Jesus, then Zion will look downward. Now, who doesn't embrace Jesus? Right now, a lot of people. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But out of the house of Israel. Oh, all, uh, most of them don't embrace okay. Jesus yeah. right now. And in particular, we would say the Jews. The Jews, mm -hmm. yeah. Right. Now, what do you think is going to happen when the Jews come to recognize their lineage? This whole thing has been wrapped around them, and they come to a knowledge of Jesus. Then you see the fulfillments of the covenants, and now you begin to see this story is their story. This is, you know— well. There's an important part that the Book of Mormon 
lets them know that they're not cast off yet. Like they have to, they'll come to a knowledge of the covenants, but they'll also have to come to a knowledge that they weren't left behind, that it still applies to them. Right. Absolutely. And that fact, they play the key role when it, when, when they get it, that's when it ends. I mean, that's when it all gets culminating um, to its grand finale in Zion and the kingdom and that sort of thing. So at any rate, this role that the fathers play in understanding what Malachi is talking about so that because, you know, the, the key to the future um, is really understanding the past that the fathers worked out in these covenants and in these testimonies and in these words. Okay, so we have this Book of Mormon, which is these words of the Father, additional to what is in the Bible, and they're basically being ignored, which is partially why we're in the condition we are with all the things that are happening. As far as I'm concerned, we're, I mean, I'm somewhat responsible. I'm not trying to make you guys feel guilty, <laughs> but I, I think I bear responsibility because I have too long allowed people to only partially believe in Jesus and haven't shouted the truths of the Book of Mormon and the further story of Jesus or what the fathers knew or what the covenants were so that they could be fulfilled and we could move forward. So it's a it's a time for clearly for boldness and encouragement. I was reading in First John yesterday and when you were talking it made me it reminded me of this verse, verse twelve. It's very popular, um, but I never thought about it in this way. And it says, if we love one another, God dwelleth in us and his love is perfected in us. And as we're talking about the fullness of the gospel, the gospel in one word is love, right? And um, the fullness of that would would kind of be like the the perfectness of love. And in this in this chapter, it's talking about if we love other people, his love is made perfect in, in, with his gospel I think it's like we just talked about with the Jews that they they don't if you read their Torah it just ends and then they're they're just waiting they're they're on a cliffhanger and they're they're left hanging I guess you could say and um, we have the responsibility to 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 show that God's love is perfect because they don't they don't see that I mean they might know but they don't know in their hearts well know? said wonderful. And and because we have the story of Jesus due to them, it's now incumbent upon us to share the story so that they know the, the full extent of it. And of course, so with it, a reciprocal mm-hmm. arrangement in that regate in that way, it's amazing um, and wonderful. Well said. So let me ask you, Andrew, how do you love your ancestors? I feel like you honor what they left behind, what they were for. Okay, so you for. read about them, you yeah. study with their words, mm-hmm. you th- ponder upon them. What about the next stage? What about your great, great, great grandchildren? You haven't even met them. What about your? What about those years and years down the road? How would you love them? Leave them something good. And what would that be? Uh, a good foundation, but uh, also a promise of God. So a covenant would be a good way. Your testimony. Yeah. yeah. Nothing like your great-great-grandchild saying, oh, my gosh, Andrew wrote this. He's he's my flesh and blood. This is what moved him. This is what so was so powerful in his life. It, it draws me to him and draws me upward. You know, Jason, same thing. Your great-great-great-grandchildren have to know these truths. 
now we know what the fathers felt like and maybe a little bit what their heart was upon. Now, there's more in Jacob 3, but that that kind of explains sort of the father-children, what the hearts need to be on, what we need to be turning our hearts to in this day. And I missed, I missed, I left out a lot of Third Helaman, the 40th through the 60th verses, but they they explained a lot of that too. Well, there's a verse in um, Third Nephi that we've talked about in the the is it the first three verses of chapter ten, mm-hmm. and uh, that talking about the it tells us our role and their role. Mm-hmm. Um, you want to read it? Yeah, sure. If I can get there real quick. So this is Jesus talking, and he says, "But if they will repent and hearken unto my words and harden not their hearts, I will establish my church among them, and they shall come in unto the covenant and be numbered among this the remnant of Jacob." So that's talking about the church today, right? Uh, that he established his church with the Gentiles, and they are brought in with the covenant. Unto whom I have given this land for their inheritance, and they shall assist my people, the remnant of Jacob. And also as many of the house of Israel shall come, that they may build a city, which shall be called the new Jerusalem. And then shall they assist my people, that they may be gathered in, who are scattered upon all the face of the land, and, and unto the new Jerusalem. Um, and then it talks about the power of heaven coming down and Jesus being there with them but it's a very active it's not a sit back and w- like wait mentality that we have somewhat adopted in these latter days of we'll wait for Jesus to come back or we'll wait for Jesus to fix it it's always been about well well said i think i think an indictment upon us maybe i should just say me again but an indictment on me is that i have been too silent and waited too long when i should have been more active Look what's happened. Look what's happening. Look what's going on. Do we think there aren't any consequences to ignoring the words of Christ and not sharing them? It's um, clearly an important time for us to recognize these these things that are going on in front of us and what they really mean in the deeper sense of scriptures and, and the past. If we understand the future, we have to go back to the past because they they laid it out for us to understand. And we don't even have to go very far back, even in our lineage, maybe not our blood lineage, but in the Doctrine and Covenants, we have people that uh, we know their descendants, you know, and uh, they they were given commandments and promises, and we should look to those and remember like, oh, these are our grandfathers and our great-grandfathers, and they, they knew this, they knew that we should do this, and we should honor them because they're our flesh and blood, you know, just like you said. Um, but that's not even in that that far past that they were given those commandments. I'm thinking of um, specifically. I I just had a sermon um, this last week, and I used a couple um, that that came from the Doctrine and Covenants, and and one was be one, and if you're not one, you're not mine, and and I mean that one that one's sharp. It it pokes you and you're like i don't know about that (laughs) we're not following that exactly and uh but but to honor our the ones that came came before us i mean that that has to be followed that that we have to adhere to it and and then we follow suit we have to be the fathers for the next generations Mm. so that they can look to the example that we were in concert in harmony with our fathers. So it all comes, you know, as you say, in one. 
it all comes back. It's it's Sam, I don't remember if it was you I was talking to, but somebody was telling me that there was a study done in Christianity and there was a big percentage of of people that were leaving, but the people that stayed were um people who could see their fathers really yeah, invested the, in the, the work. biggest and it was a weird article. I didn't even get to read all the article. It was just a headline. But said the number one reason for youth leaving organized religion today was that their parents don't, um, I can't remember, exemplify. Pretty much religion. show that it mattered right, to them. Show that it, yeah. it, the religion had no effect on their parents, so why keep doing it? That was that was the number one reason for youth leaving the church as uh, all of Christianity, not just our church. But their parents couldn't follow through, and so it was no reason to follow it. And so if you flip that. I mean, the the youth shouldn't be leaving the church, and they they won't, or I won't say they won't, but they they shouldn't, if we show them that It'd be it's one of the biggest to reasons us. to stay instead right. of biggest reasons to leave. Right. Yeah. Uh, there's a. It's well said and insightful. There's a. We haven't gotten too far into the actual parable of the olive tree, but just I want to. This is this is further into it, um, in Jacob three. This is in section forty five, um, verse two. And I had this cross-referenced um, with 121 through 124 in the book of Jacob chapter 3. But this was the beginning of the restoration. And uh, and this last verse, well, last verse I'm going to read I think is so important. But it starts in two, uh, section 45, verse 2c. And I came unto my own, and my own received me not. But unto as many as received me gave I power to do many miracles and to become the sons of God. And even unto them that believed on my name gave I power to obtain eternal life. And even so, I have sent mine everlasting covenant into the world to be a light to the world and to be a standard for my people and for the Gentiles to seek it and to be a messenger before my face to prepare the way before me. And this last verse in E that I'm going to read um, says, Wherefore, come ye unto it, and with him that cometh, I will reason as with men in days of old, and I will show unto you my strong reasoning. Um, and he's really like he's really leaning heavily on hey, I had a relationship here with the men of with your fathers and your mothers, and they knew what my plan was. And if you are the same way, if you believe on their words and come before me like that, then you'll get the same experience and you'll know with the same surety of what they knew. It's a high standard, but it's true. Mm-hmm. We, we can move on uh, to talking about the olive tree, but I had a, a short testimony a while ago that kind of had something to do with this. Um, and my grandpa got sick and it, and it got kind of bad and it was kind of scary. He called me one night and his voice was kind of shaky and I was I was scared, you know, because just he doesn't seem to be um, he's always level headed. You know, he, he's never one to be scared. So when when I heard his shaky voice, I was like, "Uh oh, this might be this might be bad for him. And um I had a friend drop me off at their house. I was going to drive them both to the hospital, my grandparents. And on the way there, um, I was just in a, I was just stressed, really, really stressed. And I was reminded of a sermon my dad had and just recently. And it said, we often look at the storms um, around us instead of the person who made the storms, like Peter, when he's walking on the water. And I just heard this voice in my head and, and it wasn't really audible or anything, but he's like, do you really believe? Do you really believe? And by this point, I had been ordained. By this point, I had taught, I don't know how many classes I had preached several times. I've been counselors at camp, blah, 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 blah. Um, 
but do you really believe like this is the time to show that you really believe and you know it's like I have an opportunity here to show that this God that I've been saying, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, isn't the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's the God of Lyle, Aaron, and Andrew, you know, and and not that we're equal with those great giants of uh, of we have in our scripture, but but that he's a personal God, you know. When we were over in India, um, Doug would preach because Hindu um, Hinduism is is such a big thing. It's like 85% of the people or 70%. I don't remember. It's a big portion of the people over there. And he talks about the tomb of the um, unknown unknown God. Yeah. Where, where Paul in, in Acts, I think is, is talking to the people and saying, listen, you guys have this tomb, this unknown God. I have a God who knows you intimately. And it's so much more powerful than any, any God that is like, who are you again? You know, like, there's nothing worse than meeting somebody like four or five times and every time they're like, what's your name again? Like, I don't remember. Nice to meet you like for the sixth time. And you're like, oh, okay, great. <laughs> I'm not that impressionable, but God knows you. And, and, and it's just so wonderful. You know, we were talking about this coming back to the, um, to the fathers and the sons, but the fathers know that God loves their grandkids and, and their descendants and the descendants need to know that, that their fathers knew that, you know? And so that's our responsibility. And I, and I think we all need to be passionate about that. Like you said, at the very beginning, do, are any of you married or fathers or I'm married yeah. children? No, not no, yet. Not um, yet. And I'm not, I'm not going to go there. Or anything, but I, <laughs> I'll just say that in those, in that moment, when you're, you go from two to, three or more and, and, and beyond, there is something, there's something uniquely different about the love of a parent than the love of a spouse. And they're both powerful and wonderful, but it is truly something that you have to look forward to. Don't do it until you're ready and it's appropriate. <laughs> but um, it's, you know, clearly... Um, the, the love of parents is, is key and what's happening in families is a really, um, in many ways, in our world today, a, such a shame that families aren't sticking together like they should and the roles of mothers and fathers aren't nearly as um, powerful as I think they should be. But I'm ready to talk about Jacob 3. All right. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, on that, we could just end part one here and then just record we will continue in the next disc. Wait, I forgot what they say on the old Flip the stuff. tape. Flip the tape. All right. We'll catch you on the next episode.